0: All right. so today's kind of a a transition uh, lesson in in terms of the the whole curriculum of the class. Uh, We've so far really done some review on what is uh, the nature of change, how do people change, right? We've talked about the heart, we've talked about uh, idols of the heart. Uh, We've began by talking about how our need for help is not based on the fall, not the result of the fall, but rather... The result of the fact that we're creatures, we are made by God, we're made to be dependent, we're we're made to need help outside of ourselves, and so um, how much more that that is true, of course, after the fall, Uh, and so then God has given us in his word the truth that we need to know how to grow and change, but more than that, now we're going to transition to thinking about what does it look like, what does it mean for us, each one of us, to be an agent of change for another person. I, I think in the world in which we live, because of the psychotherapeutic uh, world in which we live, uh, there's a mentality that if someone has problems, they need to see a professional. <laughs> uh, they, they need to go to someone that has a shingle on their door, as it were, who has gotten the degrees, and, and they need to get help from them. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's absolutely false. I'm just saying that's what the mentality is in general. Uh, it's very common in seminaries these days, uh, and for the last number of decades, that uh, pastors are trained to meet with someone, kind of triage and see what's going on, but it's almost like no matter what the issue really is, you meet with them once or twice and then you refer them off to a professional, because you know pastors, of course, don't have the training and equipping they need to minister to people. So that's just the mentality. That's the air in which we. Uh, that's the air that we breathe. That's the environment in which we live, and the result of that is uh, that we all have troubles in our own lives, and of course we we know of, to some degree, of the troubles in the lives of those around us, and we feel this hesitation to get involved to to help in some way. Sure, we 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 pray. We're, we're glad to pray for people, and we're, you know we express sorrow and and you know we weep with those who weep. And, and things like that. but but in terms of okay how do we actually become an agent of change? How, we, how do we help an individual grow and change, whether it's enduring suffering and being sanctified through their suffering, or whether it's helping them overcome the sin in their life? Uh, there, there's this sense in us, again, because of our cultural mindset, that I don't have the ability, I don't have the knowledge. Uh, I don't have the responsibility. Uh, to get involved, even if I wanted to get involved, I wouldn't know how. So, I just—I'm not going to. I'm not—I'm not, I'm not going to try. And uh, and so that that just makes it uh, difficult for us to to get involved. And and to some degree, we need to be convinced that actually, no, we do have the responsibility. We do have the wisdom and the knowledge in the Word of God, and uh, God calls us to participate in what he is doing in the lives of others. So uh, you're in this class helping people change, and I presume you're in this class because you, you have that recognition. <laughs> you, you didn't come here randomly uh, and, and you're just looking skeptically at all of this. Like You're here because you understand to some degree that God has placed a calling on your life to be involved in the lives of others. Uh, whether that's formally uh, or informally or whatever that looks like. And so most of what I'm going to talk about today is not going to be new. You're going to be like, yep, I believe that. Yep, that's why I'm here. Uh, but I just want to press it more and more into your own heart and soul, uh, not only so that you are just ever more convinced of, of these truths, but perhaps as you uh, hear the, the truths repeated over and over again, uh, that will s- not only cement it for yourself, but you will be able to encourage others as well. Because one of the ways that we can be an agent of growth and change in the lives of others is not only to help other people through problems, but also to be an encourager to others just in their own growth and sanctification. So, uh, you know, many of you are involved in small groups, and uh, you you can be an encourager to others to communicate these things, to help them to to see that they are also to be agents of change in the lives of others and and in many other situations as well. So we're going to look at a a bunch of passages that all uh, address the fact that we are all responsible as individual believers, regardless of what title we have, regardless of, of what training we have, we're all responsible to be agents of change in the lives of others by the power of the Spirit, with the truth of the Word of God. And then... I'm going to walk through, give you an overview of what the rest of the class will look like. In our very first session, I gave you those words of love, no, speak, do. I haven't mentioned them since, so it's okay if you forgot. But that's kind of the outline, that is the outline for the rest of the class. We're going to spend two weeks on each of those, love, no, speak, do. Uh, and so I'm going to introduce those uh, in, in terms of what what do each of those mean. And then we'll spend the rest of the next two months walking through those um, piece by piece. Alright? So, if you have a Bible, uh, get ready to flip. If you have a phone, get ready to tap. Uh, we are, we are going to look at a bunch of different passages today. Uh, none in depth, but all uh, in, in their main ideas. So, I want you to start by turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And some of these passages, you might be tempted to say, ah, that sounds like the audience is church leaders. The, the, the commands that are being given here, the statements that are made, refer to church leaders, to pastors, to elders, not to everybody else. And I want to encourage you to just sweep away that thought and receive the truth as for yourself, okay? Because I think a case can be made uh, for that reality, and of course, when we pile all the verses together, uh, many of them are, are clearly uh, for, for everyone. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to read starting uh, in verse 11, and we'll read down, <clears throat> all the way down to verse 21. And certainly Paul here is talking about his own ministry, his apostolic ministry, but then he, I think he broadens it out beyond himself. He says, therefore, in verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you will be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Let me just pause there. Paul is, in this letter, defending his apostleship against those in the Corinthian church or really on the outskirts of the Corinthian church who are trying to get the Corinthians to reject Paul's leadership and instead follow the, these, uh, these other leaders. So Paul is kind of reflecting this uh, uh, fact here in defending his apostleship. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Verse 13, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And here it is, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who uh, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay. Again, this this certainly sounds, and I think in a general sense, Paul is referring to his own apostolic ministry. But notice how he uses the first person plural, we, throughout this whole passage. Not, he's not limiting it, limiting it to himself. And I don't think you can say he's limiting it to the apostles, because he wasn't ministering alongside apostles. He had other ministry partners that traveled with him. When he says we, he's, he's talking to all uh, about all of those who are serving the Lord, preaching the gospel, uh, evangelizing and, and so on, and he in the first section he emphasizes the gospel verses fourteen and fifteen as what controls him and the love of Christ controls him. Verse fourteen, in other words, because of what Christ has done, he himself is constrained, he's controlled, he's compelled to, to proclaim this gospel. and And more than that, verse is uh, verse eighteen. He says that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he defines what that ministry is in verse 20 when he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I think that statement, for sure, we can apply to ourselves, all who have trusted in Christ, all who have been reconciled to God. Uh, You and I have been made ambassadors for Christ. What does it mean to be an ambassador? Any ideas? We're not of
1: this world. We're really, okay. We're here temporarily. Okay.
0: We do the work of uh,
1: Christ.
0: Yep. Yeah, Michael here said we're we're representative. Yeah. I, I kind of have a question. Is this saying that all Christians would have that
1: gift of reconciliation? It seemed to say that as we
2: read
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that it, it, we would call it a gift, but we've received the, the uh, we've been reconciled to God, right? And then we have the opportunity to, in proclaiming the gospel. Uh, whether or not we're gifted in evangelism, we have the opportunity to uh, proclaim the gospel to others. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, we... we when people look at us, we represent Christ. It's not just about, that, that's actually an important point, because it's not just about what you say, it's also just your whole being. And when an ambassador is sent from the United States to another country, uh, they don't work nine to five. They don't, uh, uh, you know, clock in, clock out, uh, go, you know, about their evening. And, and as they're going about their evening, they are no longer an ambassador. If you're an ambassador for the United States and you go to uh, a local restaurant and you do something that is, you know, um, newsworthy, shall we say, (laughs) noteworthy, Uh, the world over knows this is an ambassador of the United States, and look what they've done. So, and that ambassador can't say, well, I wasn't on the clock. (laughs) No, it's their whole being, their whole life, their their demeanor, their interactions, their the way that they entertain uh, themselves, you know, the, the parties that they go to, everything about life they are serving in, as an ambassador, and, and I think that's obviously true about us as well, that uh, being an ambassador for Christ is not just what you do when you decide to uh, engage in formal ministry of, you know, come and serve at the church, or you go on the street to evangelize, or you go on a missions trip, or something like that. Yes, you're, you are serving as an ambassador when you do those things. But you and I are ambassadors for Christ in all of life. So many of you will be having uh, meals with family and friends uh, today or tomorrow, this week. Some of those individuals won't be believers. and You know that. Uh, the way that you engage with them and with everybody around, whoever's at those gatherings, you are representing Christ to those unbelievers, and to the believers as well, but especially to the unbelievers. Uh, Many of you, or at least some of you, are involved in online social media. Is there offline social media?
2: You're involved in social
0: media. Facebook, Instagram, whatever. The things that you post... Uh, the things that you say, the things that you share, um, you are representing Christ to all of those friends, followers, disciples, you know, whatever it is. You're 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 an ambassador for Christ. You're like, well, I'm not, I'm not at church when I'm doing that. It doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Uh, when you're at work, you are an ambassador for Christ. You are uh, living out who you represent in the world, whether you th- Think that you are, whether you're trying to or not, that's exactly what's happening. So we have this calling on our lives that we are ambassadors for Christ. And that's a it's a significant calling. There there is no turning off that responsibility, there is no clocking out of that responsibility. Uh, God has called us to be an ambassador for Christ. And and specifically, what kind of an ambassador? It's an ambassador who proclaims the ministry, or, the, or rather the message of reconciliation. The end of verse 19 there says, He's entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. Now you can, you can really narrowly identify the message of reconciliation as the gospel. And, and that message comes to those who uh, need to be reconciled to God. But notice how he says there at the end of verse 20, We implore you... On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I would submit to you that believers need the gospel just as much as unbelievers do. In the many conversations that I have with people, especially counseling conversations, the the gospel is uh, among the most significant truths that people need to be reminded of, that I need to be reminded of. uh, Because... Uh, We often forget about the forgiveness that we have received, and so we battle with guilt and shame. Uh, We often forget the love that Christ has bestowed on us, despite the fact that we are his enemies, and so we struggle to love others the way that we have been loved. We forget that Christ is risen from the dead and that means that there is no more fear of death and we are granted eternal life and so we get so bogged down with the things of this world and the troubles uh, and we can't see life from the eternal perspective that the gospel would otherwise give to us. We need the gospel and there's so many more aspects that, that we need to be reminded of and so when we are with unbelievers we can give the message of reconciliation because they are separated from God, they need to be reconciled to God but even believers need that message of reconciliation because they need to have the gospel pressed in and applied to their life. Brian, you were going to keep kind of.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm listening to you, and you sort of answered it. Okay. I'm listening <laughs> to you. Is good. But that verse, you know, that we are ambassadors for Christ, so God will be pleading through us with implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled with God. When I first read that a while back, um, I'm thinking that, you know, we're not, it comes across as coercive. We're like, we're trying to coerce, like, it's so important that you come to know Christ, which is true, but at the same time, we cannot coerce someone to come to know Christ. Right. If Unless God is calling that person to himself, no matter what we say
2: or do, right.
1: that person's not going to come to Christ. Right. We do not know if that person, we're setting it on the table that it's very important mm-hmm. that you come to know Christ. And if you got at some point will call that person. Right? Maybe he's in the book of life. Yeah. God is using us just to present the mm-hmm. gospel. Mm-hmm. So you answered the other part of the question where you said we are it's, it's a calling mm-hmm. for us to be presented the gospel. Mm-hmm. We're ambassadors because it's a calling. Yeah. So out of obedience, we need to be going out, all of us, every believer, to simply present the gospel, mm-hmm. let God do a solid
0: yeah. work. Yeah, the only thing I would I would respond to that is, uh, yes, we present the gospel, and yes, we can't coerce, but there, there is something between presenting and coercing, and that's imploring, that's commanding. So
1: implore is different than coerce.
0: Right, imploring is pleading. it's it's not just saying, hey, here's some information, give or take. (laughs) Give it or take it. Uh, It's saying, you are separated from God, and you're going to spend eternity in hell if you don't believe. Believe in Christ. Right at the end of Acts, as Paul's sermon in uh, Acts 17 uh, on Mars Hill, he said, God is commanding all people everywhere to repent. And so, obviously, with love and compassion and grace, and and it's going to sound different depending on whether you're behind a, A pulpit or whether you're in a personal conversation but there is this an imperative there is a a pleading with people to believe and and then for believers who have already trusted in Christ but you know are not are not uh, actively believing in Christ and so they're struggling in some way uh, there is a loving uh, compulsion to say believe in what Christ has done for you Rest in the forgiveness that you have. Remember how Christ is, you know, whatever the, the need is. Uh, we, we have to be more than just presenting information. Uh, we, we are uh, pleading with others to believe. All right, any, any other thoughts on this particular passage? 2 Corinthians 5. So we are ambassadors for Christ, right? That, that is our calling. So as soon as you walk out the door uh, from the church, uh, you have not stopped being an ambassador. You are an ambassador for Christ. When you go to a restaurant after church, you are an ambassador for Christ. You know, if, if people see that you're wearing a cross or they somehow discern that you are a, a Christian, because um, you know, maybe you, you wear nicer clothes on a Sunday afternoon uh, at a restaurant, and you know, most people don't do that when they've just been at home lounging around, uh, you're representing Christ. Confession? That's why I don't want to put, like, a fish or a cross or anything Should on my I? car. <laughs> I don't need more pressure <laughs> than I already have. No, anyway, we are representing <laughs> Christ uh, all the time in life. And so, in our personal interactions, uh, when you're just fellowshipping, talking with people before or after class, before or after the service in the coffee shop when you get together with a, a girlfriend or a guy friend or you just go out to lunch with someone or whatever you do, you're representing Christ. And those are moments where when, when the need arises, and obviously it's not always a, a pertinent opportunity, but when the need arises, it's our responsibility to speak uh, the truth and to um, give the message of reconciliation, whatever is needed in that moment. All right, let's turn over. Uh, these are not in any particular logical order. These are just, I'm just wanting to pound these uh, in, into your mind. Uh, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. This, I would say, is uh, the passage that should really shape every church uh, and every ministry. Uh, this is not one that we can just claim for ourselves and other. Other churches do their own thing. No, this, this is the guiding passage for every church that seeks to follow the pattern given by the Holy Spirit in church life. Starting in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, hopefully that's a familiar text to you. But uh, the structure that Paul gives is the leaders of the church. If we can classify verse 11 as the leaders of the church. They exist not to do all of the ministry of the church. But rather to equip, to train, to encourage, to uh, to educate, to prepare—you know, whatever other words you want to throw in there—to help the whole body, every individual uh, uh, grow personally, so that they can each fulfill the ministry that God has given to them. So that so that each of you can use the gifts that God has given to you uh, to uh, to the glory of God. So that you can then bring the truth of God to those that God puts in your path, especially uh, those inside the church. I think that's kind of the the focus here. He's not so much talking about evangelism. He's talking about the the body of Christ within itself, which is uh, what he refers to there in 15 and 16. So, the saints, verse 12, the saints, which is, All of us, leaders and non-leaders, the saints are to do the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? Well, I think the only definition of that is verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. The, The work of ministry, at least as described in this particular passage, is that each one of us Minister the truth of God according to the need that those around us have. Now, there's obviously a lot more to ministry. There's practical meeting of needs. You know, there's a whole, all kinds of things. But, but what Paul is focusing in on here is the ministry of the word, the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the truth, the ministry of the scripture that is... Uh, what is passed from one to another and that is done by everybody not just the pastors not just the leaders that's done by everyone and, and he's he means that that's what he means when he says in verse 16 when each part is working properly makes the body grows so that it builds itself up in love the this the analogy of, of the body here is just such a A perfect analogy, of course. The Lord came up with it; Uh, that's why it's in the Scripture. But it just represents how the body grows. Um, If, um, if it was the responsibility of the elders for the pastors alone to do the work of ministry, I'll come back to you. Then uh, the body would be very disfigured, uh, the body of Christ, because there's you know relative to the whole, there's very few leaders in any church doesn't matter how big the church is there's always going to be a small fraction who are the elders the overseers the shepherds and if they were solely responsible to shepherd the flock to teach to counsel to encourage to comfort you know all of the different things that are that are called uh, for all of us to do uh, we, we we just don't have the time to do that you know we, we don't have the capacity to do that and so in the wisdom of god He's placed us all and he's made us one body and we each have a unique and distinct role that looks different than the person next to us. You know, so often people feel like, well, I just I don't have a purpose in the church. I don't really have the gifts to serve in the ways that others do. I you know, I don't know people, I, you know, I don't know the scripture as much as others. You know, there's all these excuses as to why I can't serve. The way that person serves, or the way the pastor serves, or the way my friend serves, or whatever it is, whatever comparison is being made. Well, the reality is we are each able to serve according to how God has shaped us. And within the context of the relationships that God has put in our life. And beyond that, none of us is stuck, you know, in in, in one place. We're all to be growing. So whatever we lack in terms of wisdom or knowledge, all of that can grow and develop over time. But God calls each one of us to minister to one another, speaking the truth in love, uh, according to our ability, according to our relationships and opportunities, so that then the whole body grows. So that all, all of the needs of the body are being met because the body is ministering, to itself. All right? Ron?
2: Uh, just want to commentate on uh, verse 12. So if the purpose of the elders is to help uh, train and bring up those members of the, the church. And if we know that the student can't be greater than the teacher, then we need to reflect upon the very importance of those qualifications of an elder because mm you set the bar down here, mm-hmm. the rest of the congregation is not going to exceed that bar. So that's why you need to have the highest level of standards in selecting your elders. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. And I've, I've um, not people inside of our church, but I, I've heard people say, obviously as we've um, been looking for pastors, um, we've talked to over the last several years, whether looking for senior pastors or associate pastor, Um, uh, we've talked to a number of applicants and um, it is true that every church is different in terms of there there is a relativity to uh, what is a good fit for a local church. You know, uh, I could never, never in my wildest dreams replace John MacArthur, right? As a pastor of Grace Community Church. I don't think so. And I'm pretty sure they don't think so either. <laughs> but there's someone out there who, who can, right? They're not going to be MacArthur 2.0, but they're going to be someone who has an extraordinary preaching gift and you know whatnot. Um, churches, there are some churches that have, um, that have been given much grace by the Lord where you know, in order to stand behind that pulpit, there's a greater preaching gift that's required, or at least on a human level that's, that's perceived to be required. Um, but you know, then there's, on the opposite spectrum, other churches where uh, it, it's you know, anyone who can open the Bible and read it and just say a few encouraging words is welcome and cherished and loved, <laughs> right? And so there's a, a huge spectrum in the body of Christ, uh, uh, broadly speaking. Uh, and so for us in our church, we, we've had to discern, okay, what, what does that look like for us? And as we've uh, interviewed uh, various applicants over the last few years, obviously there's been some that uh, in many ways they uh, seem to be a, a good fit, but for other reasons it didn't work out. But then there were others that you know, we just didn't perceive met the kind of standard that we thought our body would expect uh, because of the teaching that Tom had established, the standard that Tom had set. Uh, of just such uh, clear, uh, theologically um, precise, um, you know, biblically, in terms of chapter and verse, um, specific uh, teaching and thinking and speaking. Uh, and so when, when you know, we've asked uh, applicants um, as part of the process, hey, explain and defend this doctrine, like the doctrine of justification or or what would you say to someone who believes in speaking in tongues? Or how would you defend the doctrine of creation? Just to hear how they how they think, how they speak. And and so when, when a guy just can't even take you to a passage of scripture to defend what he believes, we're like, ah, we don't think that's going to be a good fit. Now, they might be a good fit somewhere else, but not here. Why am I talking about this? Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry to meet you. No, it's fine. <laughs> but so uh, so I say all that in, resp- <laughs> in response to your statement that, yes, there needs to be a high standard uh, that's biblical, first and foremost, which, of course, is more character-based than skill-based. Um, but we need to uphold that standard and, and seek to even grow in that standard, right, uh, so that uh, be just as much as the individual person in the proverbial pew uh, is growing, so should the leaders be growing, and, um, and we need to uphold a, a good standard so that we continue to grow in Christ. All right, let me get off of that. (laughs) Um, So, here Paul makes it very clear. uh, All of the saints, all believers in the local church should be doing the work of the ministry. That work of the ministry is speaking the truth in love. Now, we'll come back to that when we uh, uh, talk about the outline for the rest of the class. But that's what Paul says here. Each one of you is responsible to speak the truth in love to Those around you. Alright, flip over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Again, this is one of those passages that you might be tempted to say, Oh, that only applies to pastors. You know, I would say, No, it applies to all of us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I think the reason we I can say that this applies to everybody and not just Paul, not just pastors, is because those statements of warning, teaching, uh, are things that we're all called to do. Those are part of the one another's. We are to, um, I don't know off the top of my head what the, the Greek word is behind warning. I'm, I'm kind of guessing it's nutheteo, which normally means warning or admonition. Um, but that's, we're, we're to counsel, we're to warn one another, we are to teach one another, right? Paul says in Ephesians 5, we're to teach one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, and so the, the things that, that we are to do, that, that he's saying here, we're all called to do. And the purpose of it is so that we might present every man mature in Christ, every person uh, mature in Christ. So when we, again, engage in, in, with one another on a, on a private conversational level, when we're together in a, in a group of people, like in a small group, in a, in a home, uh, whatever context we're at, uh, the way in which we speak should be aimed at uh, promoting the maturing and the perfecting of others. Perfecting, of course, in the, uh, in the maturing sense, that we're being sanctified more and more, uh, we're not just teaching for the purpose of conveying information. You know, when uh, many of you who who teach our children in Sunday school or Adventure Club, when you're teaching kids, you're not just passing information like it's a geography lesson. Uh, you're teaching them truth with the prayer that the Spirit will implant it in their soul and cause them to believe in Christ and as Uh, as they believe in Christ, that they would then grow in Christ. Uh, When you attend a growing disciples class or when you're sitting in the service, the the teaching that is conveyed is not just to pass information from one brain to the next. It's to help you grow in Christ so that you would love Him more, so that you would live more faithfully uh, in knowing Him more. And in the same way when we encourage one another when we comfort one another when we give words of counsel to one another in all the different informal contexts that we do the aim of that is so that we would grow in maturity in Christ now in that informal context we're not often thinking about the you know where is someone at in the moment and you know how can they grow to, you know to the next level if you will i don't think that's uh, you can talk about sanctification in terms of levels, but uh, how, how can they grow you know, more and more? Because we're not, we're not necessarily seeing the bigger picture unless you have a long-term relationship with someone, which we often do in the life of the church. And so um, whether we have just uh, an isolated conversation where we're encouraging growth in someone, or whether we have repeated over the course of time interaction Uh, formal or informal, just relating to one another. uh, We ought to be seeking maturity uh, and growth in Christ in others. All right. Galatians chapter 6. Again, I'm just trying to press press in these ideas because they're all over the place. Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, verse 1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, now, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that doesn't mean... Uh, that uh, they've been found out that, uh, ha, I, I caught you, you know, uh, doing something wrong. I caught you red-handed. Uh, that means, uh, that's the idea of being trapped in a net. So someone is stuck. Someone someone comes to you and they say, man, I'm really struggling with pornography. I'm really struggling with anxiety. I'm really struggling with depression. I'm really struggling with whatever, with anger, whatever it is. That's someone who is is stuck. That they... they have been experiencing this this battle and they they haven't been able to get themselves out of it. That's someone who's caught in any transgression. He says, You who are spiritual. And the temptation is to say, Well, I'm not that spiritual. I'm gonna let somebody more spiritual minister to that person. <laughs> but I would I would contend that the spiritual person is, chapter 5, verse 25, the person who lives by the Spirit. Uh, Pneumonikos is, is the Greek word. One who is uh, spiritual. And spiritual is just defined as one who lives by the Spirit. Yes, there's you know different levels of maturity and wisdom and knowledge and all of that, but um, is spiritual is one who is indwelled by the Spirit, one who is controlled by the Spirit, and one who is walking by the Spirit. So if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God in you, you are spiritual. You can obviously grow just like I can in, in walking by the Spirit faithfully and putting off the desires of the flesh as he talks about in that last section in chapter 5. But if, if you have the Spirit in you, you have the ability by the grace of God to help someone get unstuck, uh, to set them free from... The transgression that they are caught, that they are trapped in. It says there, verse 2 Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, You know, just as well as I do, that the the sin that we have in our lives, especially if it's something that we've experienced for an extended amount of time and so we just struggle uh, because we haven't been able to overcome it, that's a burden. Uh, That's a burden that weighs down the soul that makes it so difficult to have joy and peace and freedom in life. And so one of the ways that we can come alongside one another is to uh, minister the truth of God, to bear that burden together and free someone from that burden. And that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. That's how we love others uh, the way that um, that we have been loved by Christ. So here specifically, you know, the the previous passages we've been talking more generally, Paul didn't give very specific in terms of what's the context of ministering the Word, speaking the truth in love. Here the specific context is someone is stuck in sin. Uh, Someone is engaged repeatedly. uh, Whether they're doing it without repentance, they're they're just going headlong into sin, or... Uh, they are battling, but they just keep falling into sin. Uh, either way, they're stuck, they're trapped, they're entangled. And you, when you find out about that, and it's someone that you have a relationship with, or you have, you have um, the opportunity, you are responsible to minister to them and encourage them to the best of your ability. Alright, that's, that's what Paul is saying there in Galatians. Alright, now turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Romans fifteen fourteen, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, speaking to the church of Rome, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Now, the word instruct there is nutheteo, which means to counsel, to admonish, to warn, to, to exhort. It's used in you know, different ways like that. Uh, and so, it, it, it's, you know, you've probably heard of nuthetic counseling. That's biblical counseling, but um, it, many people are moving away from nuthetic counseling in terms of the term because nobody knows what it means. But it simply means to instruct, to counsel, to warn, to admonish. And so Paul is saying here, to the church of Rome, to all the believers, you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and you're able to counsel one another. So th- this is kind of the goal that, that we should have, that Hope Bible Church is, uh, is full of goodness, that the members of Hope Bible Church are full of goodness, full of all knowledge, and able to counsel, to admonish, to instruct, to warn one another. Because that's what we are called. To do. All right, let me see. Let me give you one more. Hebrews. Well, one more book. We'll look at two passages here in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. We've mentioned this passage before, I think. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you. An evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Okay, now there, if you just take that verse in by itself, cut that out, uh, that's very individual, isn't it? It's a command to you personally, to me personally, to, to be careful so that there wouldn't be in me an evil, unbelieving heart. But then, verse 13, he says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the way that I take care of my own soul is by receiving the exhortation of others. And the way that you take care so that there won't be in you an unbelieving heart is that you receive the exhortation of others. And the way that we help others take care that there's not an evil unbelieving heart is by exhorting them. So... We are to minister the truth, we are to speak the truth, we are to exhort one another so that there won't be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart. I think what is, what is true uh, is that so often we ourselves or someone we know goes down the path of wrong thinking uh, a, a long distance. You know, if, if the path of right thinking is a straight line... Uh, They've slowly veered off, and they've just gone more and more uh, on the wrong direction. And it's not until they're way out in no man's land that they finally seek help. And that's when it's really hard to to get them back. Not impossible, but it's a lot harder. Paul is saying, now keep one another on that straight path by exhorting each other uh, day in and day out. Reminding each other of the truth. And then flip over, over to chapter 10 another familiar passage chapter 10 verse 24 let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as some as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near so you know typically we would think of this in more general terms uh, just general encouragement uh, but in the context of a sin-cursed world where we all battle sin in our lives or we all suffer in life, we are to be speaking the truth in love. We are to stir one another up to love and good works. We're to be encouraging each other and and we have to do that by being together. Coming together on a regular basis so that the, the truth of the Word of God is filling our minds and hearts and we're being... Uh, kept close to the truth. All right, I'll, I have one more, but I'll stop there because I'm almost completely out of time here. A- any particular thoughts or uh, or comments about any of that? Do you get the picture? <laughs> Do you feel that responsibility? Yeah, Alan. Are you going to give us a reference or are you going to address it next week? The next passage? Well, I'll give it to you. It's 1 Thessalonians 5 first Thessalonians 5:14 and 15 where basically he says admonish the unruly uh, help the weak be patient with all and again that's uh, that's for all of us uh, that we're all to admonish the, the unruly uh, we're to be helping those who are weak we're to be patient with everyone so there I covered it <laughs> Thank you <laughs> that was easy <laughs> All right. Let me quickly walk through this love, know, speak, do, just to give you a preview of where we're headed. And it's nothing revolutionary. It's nothing that you're like, wow, you know, that's so helpful. It's just very simple truths, really taking some of the things we've already talked about today and just putting them in some kind of a, a formulaic way. So the first, lo- the first one that we're going to address, love, starting next week, uh, is love. And what this refers to is the fact that as the people of God, we are to be in relationship with one another. That when we think of ourselves as an agent of change in the lives of others, we should not think of ourselves in any sense that is clinical or sterile or um, at arm's length. Uh, When we think about... um, getting involved in someone's life, it's, it's a relationship that we're hopefully already in, uh, and if not already in, that, that we're wanting uh, to, to build. And you don't have to turn there, but um, one passage that, uh, that I think is helpful here is Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the, the key thought there is that we're imitators of God, and what that looks like is that we are to walk in love. Well, love, biblically, is, is not an emotion. Uh, it, it's, it's how we engage with one another in relationship. It's how we pursue each other, that we give of ourselves sacrificially for the benefit of another person. Right? That we're actually involved in each other's lives. Just like Christ uh, gave up his throne in heaven, came to be born as a person, as, as, I should say as a, as a human, and he, he came into this world. He cultivated a relationship with us in that sense. Uh, this kind of bleeds over into the know uh, in terms of uh, understanding uh, a person, knowing them well. But, but love is, I am going to give of myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convey myself to you. I'm going to embrace you as a person, not as a project. I'm going to love you because you are my brother. You are my sister. I want to be involved in your life. I want to know you. I want to care for you as God allows. Right? So it's not a clinical relationship. Even in a formal sense, you know, when we do biblical counseling formally, somebody submits an intake form, and we meet in an office, and we give homework assignments, and here's let me write out the homework sheet, and let me give that to you, and you know, there's a whole lot of formality to it. Even that is not clinical. Uh, In in the clinical world, in the psychotherapeutic world, there's ethics where no, you can't have a relationship, you should not have a relationship with this person, you shouldn't share your life with them. That's not what we're to be doing we are to be having a relationship of love with people we are love them because we are brothers and sisters in Christ we are image bearers of God so we'll spend a couple weeks uh, considering that then is no love no and no refers to just kind of delving into the love aspect of of knowing a person uh, again if you're there in Hebrews you can turn back to four chapter four Uh, of this just uh, wonderful reminder in verse 14 where he says since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin we have a high priest who knows us and the reason he knows us is because he came into our world he experienced life on this earth he got his feet dirty if you will Uh, he knew us he he experienced uh, all of the temptations and difficulties of of a fallen world and so he understands us and on the basis of that he is then able to minister to us he is able to sympathize with us Uh, and in a similar way we when we are wanting to be an agent of change in someone's life we need to We need to know them to the degree that we can. Uh, Again, this is not a clinical relationship. This is a a brother-sister familial relationship that we have with another person. And so we we want to know them. We want to know how God has shaped them. We want to understand to the degree that we can the suffering that they've experienced, the the way that their life has been shaped. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it's a folly and shame to him. And how often, when someone you know, shares, us, shares some struggle with us, how often do we just, well, let me give you my opinion on that. <laughs> let me give you some advice. And maybe that advice is helpful, but often uh, we speak too quickly. Where we need to slow down. We need to listen. We need to ask questions. We need, just need to grieve with them, maybe. Uh, we just need to say, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I'm, I'm so sorry that you're struggling with this. Uh, please tell me, let me ask you some questions because I really want to understand the bigger picture. Or I want to understand the background. Wh- whatever it is that we need to learn so that we can know the person well uh, before we get into speaking. And that's where 1 Thess- Thessalonians 5.14 comes in is understanding what, uh, what is going on in the heart of this person. Are they... Uh, using the, the term in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, are they an unruly person? Right? Are they just unrepentant in their sin? You know, maybe they've, they've been found out and you, know, you have the opportunity to confront them. Are they unruly? Well, you need to admonish them and to be clear and direct and explicit. Brother, sister, you need to repent. <laughs> this is sin. This is wrong. You're being destructive in your life, in your family, whatever it is. Or are they weak? And do you need to come alongside and kind of hold up their arms, if, if you will, or, or just minister truth of comfort and, and grace and help to them? So you, you can only know how to respond by knowing the person, knowing, understanding their disposition and knowing what they need. So we have to know them well. And then, based on what we learn and how we come to know and understand them and their situation, that's when we speak. We open our mouths and something has to come out. And what comes out? What should come out? Truth. Truth from God's word. Ephesians 4. We are to speak the truth in love. Uh, at the end of that chapter, as Paul has moved on to, uh, how to how does a person grow and change, you know, that put off, renew the mind, put on process that we've talked about in the past. He says in verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So we need to be thoughtful when it comes time to speak of not just what what do they need to hear, what truth do they need to hear, but how can I communicate it in a way that's upbuilding, that's lifting them up, that's Uh, helpful to them, that conveys grace to them as opposed to tearing them down. Corrupting refers to destructive tearing down as opposed to building up. We need to ask ourselves as, as we get to know a person in their situation, what is the truth that they are being blind to or that they are forgetting or that they don't know because they've not been taught, they've not been discipled. What is the truth that they need, and how can I convey that in a way that is helpful to them? Because you can you can be speaking to someone who is a new believer, uh, who needs to understand, you know, the the mercy of Christ, but they just they lack the biblical understanding that you have to be more. Um, extended in how you explain to them how Christ has been merciful toward them beyond the basic gospel message that they believe to come to Christ. Or you could talk to a very mature believer who is struggling with the mercy of Christ because maybe guilt and shame in their life. And you just talk to them in a different way because they have more biblical categories. They have more biblical passages that, that they're familiar with. So the way that we speak has to be based on our knowledge and understanding of the person, but the content of what we speak has to be based on the truth of the Word of God. It doesn't mean that we don't just give practical advice that you know you can't give chapter and verse to. You can always do that, but we always have to make a distinction between practical advice, uh, advice and divine truth. All right, and then the last one, do. So love, know, speak, and then do. And this just refers to the fact that we are not to be hearers of the word, but doers also. Right? James one twenty two. It's not enough to just tell someone what they need to hear, uh, to give them encouragement or, or admonition or just convey uh, truth to them. Uh, change happens when someone puts the truth into practice. In fact, um, the last passage I'll have you turn to. Uh, that might have been a lie. Um, second to last, the, the penultimate passage I'm going to have you turn to is Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. When Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. So here are a group of people that will come before the Lord one day and they will think that they have earned the right to enter into God's presence. And Jesus says, in effect here, they did not do the will of my Father. So it's not enough to know that there is a man named Jesus who died on the cross and you know who has power over demons and all of the things that these individuals would certainly affirm theologically. Uh, you have to do the will of your Father who is in Heaven. So you have to take the truth, not just believe it, but then live it out. You know, I was uh, ministering to someone recently who uh, uh, needed to hear some uh, truth that, that was comforting and encouraging and helpful. and And we were working through various passages in Scripture of Of things that they needed to believe which they already knew but just reminding them of and and what they kept saying was yes but yes but yes but I was saying no there there is no but (laughs) there is no if ands or buts about it (laughs) there is just the truth and you need to embrace it and then put it into practice into your life press it into your mind let it resonate in your heart uh, throughout each day so that it becomes fixed and becomes what controls your thinking. Uh, and then your response to the challenges of life is then based on that truth. We have to do the will of God. And Jesus says there in verse 24, Therefore who uh, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So as we are seeking to minister to someone, to be an agent of change in their life, uh, there's that necessary component of speaking, but then also helping them and walking alongside them to help them put that tr- truth into practice. I think so often you know, the problem with accountability partners uh, is just how we practice that. Uh, we, we think of accountability as, hey, don't sin this week. And then we go to the end of the week. Hey, did you sin this week? You know, and, and that's it. We have to have engagement in life so that we can walk together and help them put things into practice that will put up barriers or whatever is needed to help someone overcome sin uh, or endure suffering. So we'll, we'll talk about what, what does that look like to implement truth in someone's life, not just convey the truth. All right, the last, last, truthfully, the very last passage I'll have you turn to is John chapter 3. Just to wrap all of this together. I've already made a statement uh, in this regard. But what are we doing? What what are we called to do here? John chapter 13. Did I say 3? John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This is the upper room as Jesus is preparing His disciples for His departure. He says in verse 34, John thirteen thirty-four, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's all we're seeking to do. Uh, it, it's, it's really as simple as that. We're seeking to fulfill that second commandment, that second great commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but not just in the way that we would love anybody in the world or show kindness to uh, you know, a neighbor or somebody in the community who's in distress and we help them out in some quick way. We are to so love one another within the body of Christ uh, in the way that we imitate uh, the Lord Jesus Christ who came into our world and met our needs, and who walks alongside us through His Spirit, and who's provided us His Word. And in, in a similar way, obviously in a much lesser way, we have the opportunity to get into the lives of others, to speak the truth, and, and to live um, live out the truth together to see people grow and change. That's not easy. That's why Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 it's sacrifice, <laughs> and, and, and a sacrifice is not like oh I'm just going to give up my you know uh, daily Starbucks you know so I can give money to poverty. No, I have to I have to give up a lot. It requires time, it requires energy. It require it may require resources, but a lot of it is time and energy. You know where we might say oh, I just I don't want to answer the phone right now. You know. Um, but to love someone as Christ has loved us is to give of ourselves for the good of another. Not because we have the power to change them, but because God has called us to uh, to be used by Him to speak the truth in love and to minister to another.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, Mr. David Mora. Pastor David Mora, I should say. <laughs>
2: Somewhere. Somewhere. No, I, I think you bring up some really interesting points especially regarding the change to I was reading I'm going through a book, Gospel Treason, by Brad Bigney, And mm-hmm. his book he talks about people who have gotten themselves involved. You know, and he gives a context of marriage situations where this where the sins are so deep that it seems almost impossible to get out. And he says in his book, he says, just as you've gotten yourself involved or entangled in particular sins, it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of repentance to get you back out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you can't just expect Christianity to be like some kind of microwave where you expect yeah. change in the, your husband and his wife. And yeah. You assume it, it It's going to be hard work. Right. To get those days
0: Right. Out. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Thank you for adding that. That that's that's part of the challenge. Is even when someone is growing and changing by the grace of God. That the Lord is using us in their life to, to see change occur. It still takes time because sometimes the hole is so deep that it takes a while to, to dig out. In in a sense, that requires so much uh, repentance, uh, and uh, and so we need to be patient with that.
2: And he also adds, and even if my you know spouse isn't changing as fast as I would like, mm-hmm. we need to do a little bit of introspection in that because the goal of the Christian life, individualized Second Corinthians five nine, maybe our ambition, whether home or absent, pleased mm-hmm. to Christ. Am I being pleased to Christ yeah. in this particular situation? That's right. Even if he or she isn't being pleased with Christ, or at least I know that I can
0: be. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. All right. Any, any other thoughts before I pray?
2: It reminds me of like the log out of your own eye. Mm-hmm. Something I'm practicing. Nice. In a relationship it's right for you, yeah. And
0: to yeah. 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 And that's a good point, which we'll uh, no doubt talk about in the future. Is sometimes we refrain from getting involved in the lives of others because we think, well, I struggle with the same thing, so who am I to say anything to them? And the reality is that shouldn't stop you from speaking the truth in love, because as you speak it to others, you know they say the best way to learn is to teach. Uh, I mean, there's so many times when I'm ministering to someone, especially husbands, where I'm like, I need to hear this too. You know? And so uh, that shouldn't stop us. We should take the log out of our own eye and be humble, and not let that stop us from ministering to others. All right. Well, we have. We'll walk through all of that over the next uh, eight weeks. So there's much to look forward to there. Let me pray.